0: with this story of Jacob, who is the third in the line of uh, patriarchs that we've studied, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It kind of rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So uh, here's kind of where we are on that. Now, uh, uh, what I'm going to suggest to you is that we live in a world of ASAP, don't we? As soon as possible, right? And yet, as we read the Bible, as we deal with some things um, uh, in our own lives that that are items of faith, often we're thinking that God works as slowly as possible, don't we? Instead of as soon as possible, maybe God works as slowly as possible. What I want you to know is that God works, and I believe we've got biblical evidence of this, God works as surely as possible. He works as surely as promised in time after time, after event, after issue, after issue. Now, our hero, let me mention a couple of heroes here. Abraham enters Canaan at the age of 75, having received God's promise that he'd be the source of a great nation. Yet, his covenant son, Isaac, wasn't born until Abraham had reached 100 years old, 25 years later. Isaac, himself was 40 years old when he married Rebekah but their sons Jacob and Esau didn't arrive for another 20 years yet you know there's a child of promise in there Jacob had to wait seven years we'll, we'll look at that a little bit today Jacob had to wait seven years before he could marry Laban's daughter Rachel and even then he ended up married to her sister Leah Laban allowed him to marry Rachel, provided they'd work another seven years. See all these people waiting? Rachel herself spent years in God's waiting room as she struggled with the disappointment of her inability to conceive. It's hard to imagine um, the depths of frustration at seeing other women in her household bearing children while she stayed barren. It's hard for us to understand why God answers some prayers quickly and others we seem to kind of languish for a while before we get an answer. We trust that God will do what he has said and what I hope that we this study has helped us a little bit is that he's going to do these things in his own time and he's going to do them as surely as promised, okay? Now, look, turn with me, if you would, to chapter 30 in, um, in the book of Genesis. Uh, Jacob has a dream at Bethel. We talked about that last week. He travels on to Haran, which is a long ways away. There he meets Rachel, Laban's daughter. That's his mother's brother. Um, and so therefore, Rachel is his cousin. When, when she comes to water, to water her father's sheep, That sounds a lot like what happened with his dad and mother. Uh, Rachel runs back home to tell her father about Jacob's arrival, and and Laban hurries to meet Jacob, excited to meet an extended member of the family. And uh, Jacob then um, enters into this relationship with the one who is his uncle, who will eventually be his father-in-law, and he finds out that the deceiver may end up have the potential of being deceived. Um, Jacob um, has to deal with this deception at a whole different level once he meets Uncle Laman. As a result, Jacob first marries Leah and then Rachel, whom he truly loved. And the Bible records how Jacob began to build a family that would grow to 12 sons and at least one daughter, with the sons becoming the source of the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. So when you, think of, um, when you think of the nation of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel, what you're talking about there are Jacob's 12 sons. God is later going to give him the name Israel, change his name. Leah gives birth to Reuben and Simeon and Levi and Judah. Um, Bilhah, who is one of, one of, um, um, who is a, a servant of, of Rachel's, uh, gives birth to Dan and Naphtali. Leah's servant, Zilpha, gives birth to Gad and Asher. Leah's later going to give birth to Issachar and Zebulun and a daughter, Dinah. And eventually, Rachel will conceive, and we'll talk about that today. Rachel voices her anguish to Jacob with great emotion. Look, look with me just as a, as a context. Look at the first two verses of chapter 30. Now, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, She became jealous of her sister. Now, by the way, could there be any... We've talked about sibling rivalry a lot here in this series. Could there be a worse setup for sibling rivalry than two women who are married to the same guy? It's just ludicrous to even think about how that would ever turn out well. Um, And so she voices then in the scripture, uh, and she becomes jealous of her sister, and she says to Jacob... Give me children or I will die. Then Jacob's anger burns against Rachel. And he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Wow. By the way, this isn't, can you tell? This is an argument. This is a fight. All right. They're not happy either one with the other. So that's the context here. The friction that had developed. Between Esau and Jacob is now revisiting him in his own home with two wives. Now, I've got to say something. I've got to to, uh, say something a little bit about, okay, why does this guy have children by four different women? I want you to just observe. Remember, we said last week Esau married several different women. Some Hittite, Canaanite women, and he went and married some Ishmaelite women, or at least one. What you need to understand is as you read the Old Testament is the Bible never condones this, okay? You could cite it as uh, groups did back in the 1800s in the U.S. There's case law all over uh, the U.S. with people trying to, to uh, legalize polygamy. Using the Old Testament as a backdrop, but what I want to tell you is the Bible doesn't say this is a good thing. It didn't work out well for David. It doesn't work out well for Jacob, really, other than building a big family. Okay, we see the constant, um, the constant conflict, struggle, trouble, uh, right down to in both Jacob and. And and David's family, uh, intrigue, um, attempted murder, brother to brother, okay? It's just never going to work out. The Bible doesn't condone this here. In fact, you could argue that as it reports all the gory details of it, the Bible is not happy about this. Okay, so now, let's read. Uh, Steve Blair, can I get you to go to our scripture and read 22, 23, and 24 from chapter 30? Okay, I, to, I want you to go with me to a couple of places here. Go to eight one, so turn... Turn back to the left a few pages. 8, 1. Then God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the cattle that were with him in the ark. And God caused a wind to pass over the earth, and the water subsided. Now look at uh, 1929. Okay? And we're going to get back to 30 in just a second. 1929. Same kind of an idea here. Thus it came about when God destroyed the cities of the valley that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow and then he overthrew the cities in which Lot lived. Does God need to have his memory jogged occasionally? Not really. This is the great I am. The everlasting father, okay? So the idea would be here God doesn't really need a reminder. That's what goes in your blank there. If I begin to look at prayer as a reminder of God to what he promised me he would do, I'm going to fall a bit short. Now, there are times when I'll say, God, you and I have dealt with this. You made a promise to me. and then I will, But I'll follow that with a faith statement like, I believed your word. I'm still trusting in you. But God doesn't need me to jog his memory. And that's not what prayer is all about. Prayer aligns me to the Lord. Now, it's interesting in the three passages that we just read, where it says God remembered and fill in the blank, what really is happening there in each of those cases and in other cases that are, as I studied them in the Old Testament especially, Is that when the Bible says God remembered, it just is a phrase telling us he is about to act. Okay? He's about to act. You and I need to hang on to, by faith, the thought that one of these days God is going to act. And you might say, once all those things are kind of moving along, you know what? God remembered me because he does. He doesn't need a reminder. All right, now, look at, at, at verse uh, 23. Rachel is Jacob's beloved. He's married to sisters, but he loves one more than the other, and that's Rachel. She has been barren, uh, has not had children, and you and I know that barrenness in the Bible is a source of disgrace. Uh, next week, we're going to look at, at Luke 1, and you'll meet there in Luke 1, a lady uh, from a priestly family by the name of Elizabeth. Her husband's name was Zechariah. And she was, she prays, Lord, take my disgrace away in Luke one twenty five, Does God take her disgrace away? Yeah, she becomes the mommy of John the Baptist. Okay, he took her disgrace away. Um, uh, so, um, uh, in, go, go with me. Go over about oh a half inch or so to Isaiah to the right. Let's go to Isaiah fifty-four, verse one. It's just kind of another indicator that that this issue of barrenness is a big deal. Uh, this is in a, in the context of a chapter that's talking about fertility. Interesting. We're going to talk interestingly. We're going to talk about fertility. Uh, today, for a little bit. 54 1. If somebody gets there, read it. You hear that kind of overriding promise that if you're dealing with barrenness, he's going to fill you up? Now, I don't really have an answer for this, but I just want to kind of raise an issue here for you to contemplate in terms of an application of this idea. What about spiritual barrenness? Do I pray over barrenness in my soul? Lord, I'm not producing um, Uh. There are no spiritual children in my life, or at least it's been a long time. Do I languish over that? See, I think it's really important that we languish over that a bit. And yet probably uh, my prayer life is more focused on other things than that. So I just, I just throw that out as a challenge. So God answers Rachel's prayer in verse 24, and the word that I want you to put there is he uh, answers her prayer by Adding, okay. What's the name of her little boy? Joseph. Joseph's word in Hebrews means to add. Now I find that intriguing, by the way, because he will be a guy who does really well with math later on in his life. But but uh, you can read about that if you keep, if you keep reading toward the the uh, the later verses, uh, later chapters in. Uh, in Genesis, but uh, Joseph is to add. God did add. Uh, God also, if you look, turn over to chapter thirty-five. God also added another son. And by the way, when when she when he adds Joseph to her, she says, "May you add more." And he does. Look at look at thirty-five. I'm going to start with verse sixteen. Then they journeyed from Bethel, and they when. There was still some distance to go to Ephrath, which, by the way, they're going back to the promised land. Rachel began to give birth, and she suffered severe labor. When she was in severe labor, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for now you have another son. It came about, as her soul was departing, for she died, that she named him Ben-Onai. But his father called him Benjamin. And if your Bible has a footnote, like mine does, Ben-Onai is the son of my sorrow. That was it. But Jacob called him Benjamin, the son of my right hand. So there was an addition here, but it kind of took a while and it took some things. Now, I want us to go to verse 25. And if um, John cannot prevail on you to read depth 25 down through 32 from chapter 30, Okay. For whatever reason, Jacob sees the birth of Joseph to his beloved Rachel as a signal that it's time to go back home to mom and dad. Now, what, what's going to be the hitch, by the way, of getting there? There's a couple of hitches. Well, uh, permission from his father-in-law, 500-something miles to travel. And who's back there? Esau, who's vowed to kill him. Okay? Lots of hitches here. And if you'll read the rest of the story, it's a wonderful, intriguing story of how Jacob and Esau renewed their relationship, actually, as he goes back. But but it's it's not without some fear. Okay, so, for whatever reason, Jacob now feels the birth is a signal to return to Canaan. Um, One commentator I read said, you know, he really couldn't take a barren Rachel back to Canaan because she'd be picked on. She'd be ostracized. That's interesting. That's probably true. Uh, Another commentator said, um, uh, uh, Jacob already has 10 sons. He's now got Joseph. He starts kind of adding up time. I've been here 14 years. And he begins to think that the promise that God gave him when he was on the way to Haran that we looked at last last week. That was the promise that God had made to Isaac, his dad, and, God, and the promise that God had made to Abraham, his grandfather, was, I'm going to bless all the world through you, and I'm going to give you that land back there. And it makes me wonder if he began to think, you know what? I've been over here hanging out in Haran for long enough. I got to get back home and get back I don't want to over-spiritualize this, but I got to get back to the plan that God has for me. And so he asks to return. Verse 26, he reminds his father-in-law that his 14 years of labor have, have been fulfilled. Um, look, at, look at, go back to 29. I'm going to go from verse 26 and 29. Um, by the way, this is after he has slipped Leah in to the marriage tent instead of Rachel after the, after the, uh, the wedding. Laban said, it's not the practice of our, our, uh, in our place to marry off the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we'll give you the other one for, also for the service which you shall serve with me for another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week, and he gave him his daughter Rachel as his wife. So the idea is he had to work 14 years for these two girls. Um, and that time was up, um, kind of an, after, after that much labor, and he 's been building Laban 's flocks and his uh, his bank account, all right. So Laban comes back with an interesting comment. He says, "I perceive by divination what 's divination?" do what Spirit. it, it's spiritism it's it's later in the scriptures it's it's forbidden but it, it uh it, you know it's using some kind of an amulet or using you know divination uh you ever seen a divining rod where they have a, a forked stick and they're looking for water you know that kind of thing uh, the, the Bible's just not really kind toward divination so laban says i've been divining and here's what i'm divining what is it he divines that God has blessed me through you. That, by the way, is the is the was the uh uh headline on Duh magazine that week. Yeah, you know. Duh. Jacob knows he's blessed by God. He's been promised he's gonna be blessed by God, all right? And so um uh he um uh kind of goes after this deal and says, uh, Uh, And and Jacob actually gives kind of the right answer. Now, I want to take a little bit of an aside. Look back at verse 27. Okay. Uh, Divination. Now, one of the things I think is going on in this whole section is a lot of superstitious activity that God neither likes nor blesses. All right divination is one of those there's another thing going on here uh, that that's kind of interesting look at uh, in, in between the verses that we that uh, um uh, some of the verses we're reading some of the verses we're not going to read uh, I, I want you to go to verse uh 20 um uh, go to verse 14 that was before what we started with today okay Remember, Rachel's big deal is she hasn't had any children yet. Now, in the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. Now, the reason for that is mandrakes were believed uh, to be, um, have something to do with fertility. Here's another divination, another little thing going on that's like, okay, I can't have God hasn't blessed me with a baby, so I'm gonna I'm gonna pull another lever. What's a, mandrake? a mandrake is a root. It's sometimes Jopi, um, uh, by the Hebrews, and and since then called a love apple. Okay, either it had a fragrance to it, or some kind of um, uh, there's some reading that I did on it that said it was even a hallucinogen. Okay. My son found some love apples. And Rachel says, there's my chance. What happened to Rachel it has nothing to do with love apples? Can I tell you that? It really doesn't. Isn't it interesting? All this superstition. One of the things that I think is going on in verse 27 is Jacob's beginning to think, I've got to get out of Haran. This place is despicable even my kin folks have fallen into all this superstition remember it was all around them remember all that area that's what they found when they got to Canaan but they're beginning to change Canaan by being there at least in his family there's not all this superstition going on later on later on when when they finally do get out of Dodge um, uh, Rachel hides a, a family idol that was her dad's family idol. That's a goofy story. There's all kinds of superstition. I wonder if Jacob, whose faith is growing, begins to say, i got to get away from all this superstition and go back home. Now, there's going to be one indication that he's still pretty superstitious, superstitious himself. Anyway, in verse 28, Layman says, You got a blank check. Now, he's done that before. If you look in 29, 14, and 15, when he first came, Laban said, You know what? You work for me. You can take whatever you want. Now, that didn't exactly happen that way, did he? So he's offering that blank check again, and and Jacob knows he's done this before. And then in verse 29 and 30, listen how faithful Jacob is here. Look at verse 29 and 30. His answer is, but he said to him, You know yourself how I have served you and how your cattle have fared with me. For you had little before I came. It's increased to a multitude. But listen what he says And the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. Jacob is sure to give appropriate credit for his prosperity. Who really prospered them? The Lord. The Lord has. Have I done this on my own? Or has God done it? And he got the right answer. So Jacob proposes in verse thirty-one. He proposes to stay a while in exchange for kind of an agreement here. And I don't know if this is a change of heart on Jake's part, Jacob's part, or if he's just kind of hatching up another scheme. But he's got he's got a plan here. And what the plan is is by verse thirty-two, he's saying uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna separate flocks. So I'm going to divide them up in Laban. Um, I'm, going to, I'm going to leave you the finest and the most productive. So literally what Jacob is proposing here is that he takes, um, he takes um, the uh, fewest and the less desirable amongst Laban's livestock as his own. Now, what, what, what makes them less desirable? Did you catch that as you read through there? They got spots, they got streaks, some of them are black, okay, so, um, you know, it's just goats and sheep are not supposed to look this way, but this kind of happens, so basically Jacob's flock will be, I want you to catch this, Troy, you'll like this, his flock will be branded as his, okay, any cattlemen out there, flock will be branded as his, when if, if, if Laban were to see an unblemished sheep or goat in, in Jacob's flock, he knows, hey, he's a rustler. He's stealing my sheep. Not so. All of his sheep have some kind of defect, blemish, marking. They're branded. Interesting to me. Laban agrees to it. And Jacob gets to work. Um, Laban says, okay, look at verse 34. Laban said, good, let it be according to your word. So Jacob gets to work. And God keeps his promise to Jacob. But in the process, Jacob enters into another little fertility deal. Okay. He does some of these. I found this in some parking lot yesterday. It? it just reminded me. I what that was. Okay, uh, yep, that's what it's for. What did he do with these? The made with the offspring spotted it was just magical, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and it was all because of the poplar rods that he put in the feeding trough, in the drinking trough, right? No. No. <laughs> that's another superstition. Another fertility goofy thing. I, I was in uh, Ironton, Ohio, years and years and years ago, back in the Mays and 80s. It was across the river from Ashland, Kentucky, where I was living, across the Ohio Bridge, the Ohio River Bridge. And one of the things that was unique, I was going to visit somebody in the hospital over there or something. And one of the things that was unique about that area is in those days, you could buy lottery tickets in Ohio, but you couldn't in Kentucky. I stopped at kind of a cheap gas station to buy some gas, and while I'm waiting in an interminable line, it was before the time when you could put your credit card in the thing outside, I'm watching lots of people who had little snotty-nosed kids in very little clothes appropriate to the wintertime, buying ticket after ticket after ticket. Does the Lord bless that? I, I don't know, guys. I just know what I read in scriptures. I wonder if that's a mandrake. I wonder if it's a, a stripped poplar rod. It's the idea, am I going to trust God to prosper me appropriately where it's the right thing to do? Or am I going to be shrewd as Jacob was? By the way, Jesus says you need to be innocent as doves and shrewd as a snake. It's very interesting that he says that. I'm not sure I completely understand that principle, but I do understand this one. He says to me in Proverbs 3, verse 5, that I memorized a long, long time ago, probably when I was in high school, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. Am I counting on my shrewdness? Jacob was incredibly shrewd. He kind of up, cooked up this deal. It prospered his life in a lot of ways, he thinks. Or was it? You remember, he was promised that God would prosper him. Was it mandrakes that caused him to have sons and daughters? No. It was the goodness and prosperity of God. So here's my question. Am I going to live by shrewdness or am I going to live by faith? I read about some um, animal um, folklore this week. Changing the name of an animal will cause it to die, according to old Pennsylvania belief. An Illinois proverb holds that if you get a horse on trade, you must change its name to have good luck with it. Exact opposite. North Carolina belief promised, that nailing a horseshoe over a stable door would prevent witches from stealing your horses. A Maryland proverb assured that eggs set in the morning will result in, uh, in male uh, chicks. But in Alabama, eggs needed to be set in the afternoon to get the same result. In Kentucky, your chickens would be protected from hawks. If you put a round rock in a fire, it causes the hawk's claws to draw up in a shape so they can't grab your chickens. <laughs> Am I going to trust in that kind of stuff? Okay. In uh, On December 31st, 1980, Rhonda took half a bottle of castor oil and set the... Uh, set the washer on the spin cycle she sat on it she was trying to get me an extra uh trying to get me an extra uh tax deduction for 1980 because jake was due any minute you know what ended up happening i ended up paying a deductible for 1980 and for 1981 and jake wasn't born until like three o'clock in the morning that didn't really work that was a wife's tale (laughs) What are you trusting in? (laughs) Would you rather have a lottery ticket or the eternal, almighty, heavenly Father who leads and directs your life every day, even when you don't see it? So go dig up your mandrakes if you want to. I'm going to trust the Lord Jesus. Jesus.